I'm strong when I am weak. I will be free. Your power at work in me. I'm broken gracefully. I'm strong when I am weak. I will receive your power at work. Broken gracefully, I'm strong when I am weak. I don't know about you, but I, I don't need what God did in nine o'clock to just be replicated almost systematic in this service. Amen. I want fresh fire, amen. I want, I want his fresh wind, his his touch, amen. God, we trust you for that. We trust you with that. We trust you with that. Anybody trust him this morning? God, we pray, God, that we get a revelation of your goodness this morning that we couldn't give ourselves. We experience your goodness in a way that we could not experience ourselves. That we walk in a level of freedom that we've never before God, that you'd open eyes, God, to be able to see this morning. And those of us who think we have our eyes open, God, show us a deeper glance in your eyes. Take us deeper into how you see. Keep our hearts pure before you. Keep our hearts humble before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 We're, we're in a series right now, and really the intent initially was about small groups, but as we talk more and more about it, it seems like God is just really shouting vision. Um, I saw uh, Pastor Brandon's message from last week, and on the, uh, the icon of it on YouTube, it said, vision, vision, vision. So God might be trying to tell us something, amen? Amen. Um, and so... Uh, this, this should be culminating with the launching of our, our Thrive Groups, which is just a further way of just seeing more of God's life and his goodness in our homes. So the word vision is often thrown around in churches nowadays and could quite easily be dismissed as just a churchy word. Say churchy. There are certain words that we use in church that we don't use anywhere else. There's certain contexts of words that we use in church that we don't use anywhere else. Um, but this word vision, it, it, for, for whatever reason, sometimes it gets a bad rep or other times they're like, oh, here they go again. They're just trying to market the church better. Um, but what God is speaking now um, is a vision that carries life. Say life. How many of you know that having a vision uh, for our assignment called life here on earth is vital to our quality of even living? If you don't have a vision, I guarantee you that you're probably just going to be messing around, like you're just kicking the can in life, like, why ain't my life, ha like, why is nothing happening? I guarantee you, you probably haven't set your eyes on the thing that God said for you, amen? And so one of the things that God was speaking um, specifically to me during worship and was speaking first service was, uh, he is good to those who wait on him. Say, wait on him. 
wait on him. That is, that is oftentimes we think of waiting on God from a sedentary position or, or kind of like Bailey is here that she's sitting. And, and we often think that waiting means that we are just still, that we are not moving at all, that we're just waiting on God. Anybody ever waited on God like that? Or at least said it like, well, honey, I'm just waiting on God. If you don't believe it, ask the middle-aged single lady. You know, we hear that a lot. Well, I'm just waiting on God. Oh, oh, somebody said, "Amen." <laughs> I'm waiting on him too, honey. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but as we hear this, I, I really feel like God was just um, just really downloading some things for a service. That oftentimes we look at waiting a certain way, and we look at it as just sitting waiting on God. But what if God was presenting to you that waiting looked different? Say, waiting looks different. Those who wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. And, and so if waiting looked less of like sitting down and more of like serving, how would your waiting change? If God called you to a season of waiting on him, you ever noticed a successful hitchhiker? I don't know if that even, those two words go together, but a successful <laughs> hitchhiker always keeps what? Moving. Because there's a destination that they're trying to get to. So even if they're walking or crawling, they're still trying to get to a destination. God's got a destination for you. And when he says, wait on me, it's less about sit and do nothing. <laughs> and it's more about serve me obediently until you see what I said. Can I say that one more time? Just for some of you that, that you're in a season of waiting. And, and, and waiting doesn't have to be miserable. <laughs> Some of us, we, 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 try to, we try to take our misery and our insecurities and we try to lump that into the person of God and say, I'm just waiting on God. No, you miserable. <laughs> waiting is serving God obediently until you see the word that he said. If we're honest, as parents, sometimes there's some of you in here who you know God has spoke a word over your son or daughter, and they may look a long way from that word, but, you, but God has called you to a season of waiting. Wives, maybe God's called you to a season of waiting on that husband to really come into that design that he showed you. You've seen a vision from God. You've seen what he could be, and you're like, man, I just feel like I'm waiting on the Lord. Yes, it's not sedentary, and it's not just for you to be stationary in that but it's for you to move towards what God has called you to. But in that process, it is serving him obediently until you see the word that he said. Amen? Could I submit to you that sometimes our frustration comes because we haven't seen what God said? It's not that you haven't heard God. It's that you're frustrated that you haven't actually seen it come to pass as he said it. And that's what God wants to speak to us about today envision. So it is not some cool, hip, trendy uh, <laughs> uh, spin on the word, but really just what does the word of God say about vision and how does God want us to have a vision of goodness? Say vision of goodness. A vision of goodness. If you're taking notes, that's going to be my topic for the day, uh, is how God wants to transform the way we see vision and, and, and to see things through his eyes. In Habakkuk 2, it says this. It says, the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on the tablets so that he who reads it, um, so that he may run who reads it. It says that he may do what? He may 
run who reads it. Uh, the reason why we find it necessary to be able to reemphasize these things and, and certain things that you'd say, oh, well, why is it important to even talk about the vision of a church? Why is it even important to talk about what our vision is or this or that? Because we need to be mandated by the word. And if the Lord would give instruction to Habakkuk to say, write the vision, make it plain, so that when someone reads it, they will begin to run after it. If we're seeing you come and you're getting immersed in the word, you're encountering God through worship, but we don't see you run we might want to spend some time writing it out. Amen? I want to talk to someone who has grown maybe comfortable in a season of just coming to church. God sees you. He's, he's Elroy. He sees you. He's the God that sees. And so God, God, the American church might be comfortable with this consumer-driven version of Christianity, but God is not. He rescued you for a reason. He called you out of darkness for a reason. He's awakened you to spiritual things for a reason. Amen? And that reason is more than just feeling morally obligated to a once a week on Sunday, come feel good, digest a sermon, maybe podcast through the week, and then call yourself a Christian. It's got to look different. I just, think that, I, think, I just think that Jesus died for more. Amen? I, just, I, I know that. Not that I think. I know that he died for more. Verse 3, it says this. It says, for the vision await, for the vision, um, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not what? Lie. You got to understand this. Anything that God says, anything that God speaks, he's, he's, not, he's not a liar, y'all. It's not who he is. Now, what he is is faithful. He is, he is goodness. He is love. That means that he doesn't have to try to love you. He doesn't have to try to be faithful to you. It is simply who he is. Amen? It, uh, if it seems slow, verse 3, what is that word again? Wait for it. Wait. Wait. I hear the Lord saying, wait, I say, wait on the Lord. In our, in our fast-paced society of always going, 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 it's hard for us to think about what does waiting really look like. This is why some of you, you know God's been calling you to wait on him for some time, but you're like, the only way I think of waiting on him is just sitting still doing nothing, and God, can I sit still and do nothing? God's saying, can you serve me obediently? you see what I've said. Serve me. Y'all, don't serve your self-interest and call it God. You know, don't, 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 don't just do the things that you know American Christians do in the West and say that I'm serving God. Because it's very possible to work for God and not know him. I'd like to share another uh, definition that we use in our Next Steps classes, and that's a just a great segue or a plug, if you will. Um, if you are not involved in those classes or haven't been through, I encourage you to come through. But in our next class, this is what we, we define as vision. And what we say here is we say this, and it should be on the screen. Vision is the God-inspired ability to see a future that does not exist yet, but should. Say, but should. This future is so Christ-exalting 
and life-giving that people run into the future and drag it back to the present. That is a vision from God. When you talk about what is a vision from God, I want to help some people out. God is giving you visions all the time, but you got to make sure that, one, is it Christ-exalting? I'm not quite sure that the American version of vision sometimes, uh, not sometimes, but most times would, would fall under vision from God. It is not always me have the largest house, you know, thousands of zeros behind <laughs> in my bank account. All of that stuff. It, it is not just, it's not that. It is how can I join? I love what Stephen, I love what uh, Stephen was saying just a minute ago. How can I join in the story that Christ started years ago? And there's a vision of that. There's a vision of that. Do you believe that God actually has a vision for this community? He has a vision for East Charlotte. I guarantee you it's not to just wait till it comes up and coming with more uh, higher income people so that this church can flourish with the more suburban crew. You know, some churches think like that. They're like, hey, let's just hold it out. Then we can actually really see what we think God's saying by what we see in other churches, no, that's not the case. God has a plan for East Charlotte. It's a plan of redemption. And the reason why I know that is because he planted a church here called Eastside right here in this community. And if the church is actually the church, the church actually answers the problems of a community. I want to take my time and kind of going through this a little bit more. But true vision, if you're taking notes, true vision must be rooted in the word of God. Say word of God. But I said that the topic for today is a vision of goodness. So I want to talk about goodness for a little bit. David writes this in Psalm 145. He says in verse three, he says, Lord, you are great and worthy of highest praise. For there is no end to the discovery of the greatness that surrounds you. Verse four says generation after generation will declare more of your greatness and declare more of your glory. Verse 9, God, everyone sees your goodness. Say everyone. Yeah. Even the person that says, even, even the person that says, well, you know, I just don't believe in God. I, 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 you know, I'm a spiritual person. I just don't believe in God. But when they're enamored at the sunset. Oh, come on. <laughs> when, they're, when, when they're enamored at, 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 a, at a breathtaking view, they go to a view and they're just like, wow, they... they they even, in verse 9, everyone sees your goodness. Because guess what? That's the work of his hand. Amen? So, some of us are, are so frustrated or, or so, so in a fog that we think that, oh, man, my life is just so much like this. But someone's seeing the goodness of God in you. Someone. Someone somewhere is talking about, man, I just wish that I could share. I wish that I could connect with God like this person. You you hate you you are complaining on a regular basis because you're seeing you're sitting here seeing people that you think are successful in their walk and all these different things, but someone is sitting there saying, Hey, I'd love to have that type of commitment. Because in grace, God covers us. God covers us with his grace. That's where sometimes people can't see our, our defects. So they're looking at us like, hey, I just I'm really encouraged by, and you're like, You encouraged by me? <laughs> what? <laughs> Because that's what he does in his goodness. Now, verse 9. For your tender love is, bended, uh, is blended into everything you do. I want God to be blended into everything I do. Do you? Yeah. Everything. If you, if you can say this to your neighbor, say God's goodness is not contingent on our ability 
to be good. Another way to say this is that God, 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 you're, that you're God's favorite. I said this in first service that when I first heard um, Dr. Joe say this, I was like, man, what does he mean? You're God's favorite. And then he would go to the next person. You're God's favorite. And then he'd go to another one. You're God's favorite. And before you know it, he's told a hundred and some people that they're all God's favorite. And I was like, is this possible? But now that, now that I'm growing in, in the, yes, pastors do grow. <laughs> In understanding that God's, he's, he's not limited to my limitations. I might can only love so many people a certain way, and then after that, you know, I'm saying, oh, hey. <laughs> you do it too, I know, I know, I know you do it too. But God is limitless, amen? He, he, has, he has no bounds. That means that he can love you unconditionally and love the person beside you unconditionally at the same time. When you understand this, you understand verses that come to life more, and you have a passion for people way more, where you understand where it says, God so loved the world. You don't just look at it as saying, well, the whole world, and he kind of loves me. No, no, no. God, with all his heart, loved me. But guess what? With all his heart, he loved you too. And we get to, lo- we get to live in a different story because of his love that we never knew before. So when we're talking about vision and we're declaring this, so a vision of goodness, making sure that we are being a church to where the goodness is on display, the goodness of the Lord, (laughs) not the goodness of us. Any of you ever try, you know, I want you to understand this. There is a different, there is a difference in you just being disciplined versus you actually honoring the Lord. If you don't believe me, then, then, then watch this. Some people are more disciplined in these four walls than what they are um, out at the restaurant later. Yeah, yeah. Let me break it down to you a little bit more. Some of us care more about how our children act in front of people than how they act at our house. But how many of you know that if you build honor at home, then guess what? When you get in front of people, honor is on display. But if you just build discipline, you still got a bad kid. He just, he just know how to button it up in front of people because he's scared of the hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, look at somebody and say family. Family over function. Now, th- this, is, this is one of the things that I, I want to talk to you about because Pastor Brennan, he talked about the first two values, and he was talking about authentic community and the other one that he talked about, y'all, this was last week, less than seven days ago. Big. Yeah, thank you. All right. Quick footnote there before I, before I go right here into the family deal. I want you to understand, this is a vision from God. It is not, it's not a vision from Pastor Brandon, Pastor Cheryl, myself, Pastor Alex. It's not just man's vision. It is God's vision for his church to encounter Jesus to be equipped as believers and to engage your culture around you. Amen. So if you keep if, if you if you keep focusing on just the encounter part of it or just services, then you will say, okay, I'm there to get a word. Okay, JP, like, give me a word. And the lie of the American church model or the Western church context is that we've built people who want Burger King and not authentic. You know, authenticity. What do I mean you want Burger King? You want to have it your way. Oh, come on. 
Come on. Man, if I can preach this like I feel it. Yes. Thank you, God, for the green light. There we go. Because I'm waiting on him, not you. So, like, you know. <laughs> so, so there we go. We, you cannot have it just your way. You know what I'm saying? God calls you to a people. He calls you, one, no, anyone that's, you're trying to have arguments with people, if church is relevant or not, should you go to church? Is it biblical? You're having the wrong conversation, okay? Have you fallen in love with Jesus? Have you encountered Jesus? When you encounter Jesus, guess what? Your perspective changes. When your perspective changes, uh, can I get that, Lee? When your perspective changes, then guess what? You, your values begin to change. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and after your values begin to change, guess what? Your language starts to change. Some of us, that's a big thing. We still cussing and we Christians. I don't know how that go, but I mean, whatever, you know. That's, 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 that's only, some of you'll get that tomorrow. But it's not about the legalism. It is about the person of Christ begins to change my life. I cannot just encounter Christ and not change. It's impossible. It's called religion. The Pharisees were great at it. Encounter. That leads to my perspective shifting. And a true encounter with Jesus leads to my perspective shifting. <laughs> then I'm able to have values. Say values. values. Values are pillars. Look, as we talk about vision, it is necessary because I showed you in Habakkuk, God himself, he says this to Habakkuk. He says, write the vision, make it plain so that when they read it, they'll run. I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that you're not reading your Bible. I'm not saying that you're not coming to church. I'm just saying we could use more people running. Amen? <laughs> Great. So this is a necessary conversation. Last week was a necessary sermon. Next week, the week subsequent, until we begin to put this into your home so that it can be something that you live. Amen? Now, when we're talking about vision in this way, you've got to understand that this is, this is something that, that God was just showing me about this, that as my perspective changes, then my values change. After my values, I now get a, uh, a language, a language uh, shift. Now, um, any of you, now I didn't know about this, but like middle school used to frustrate me a lot because um, people used to speak this thing called pig Latin. Anybody ever heard of it? Okay, look, I thought it was just like a young millennial thing. Jack last service told me they've been using it since the early 40s. He said he spoke pig Latin when he was growing up. I was like, okay, wow. But anyways, I was frustrated with this. Why? Because people would be right around me talking, and I wouldn't understand what they were saying. It was some udagay, adagay, something, something. I was like, what are you talking about? But it, but it didn't have any meaning to me. Why? Because there was no value of it in my life. Do you know that we could talk about vision all day long? We could give you all kinds of slogans and have it on T-shirts, signs and banners and all this stuff. But if it has no value to you, you your language ain't going to change. You're not here just to look at a vision or to stare at one. You're here to live one out. It's, uh, remember, like, if you, if you saw the definition that I used earlier, it is a future that does not exist yet. So when we're praying, we're asking, Lord, God, what is the people <laughs> that, that you are calling the east side in 20 years what is it? What, what are you saying about them there? Well, are they encountering Jesus? Yes. Are they, are they being equipped? Yes. And are they engaging culture? You can't just say the stuff and be like, oh, well, yeah, big people, big church, authentic community, without living it out. 
You know the most authentic community you could get is family when really lived out correctly? This is why the devil is after your family, because he knows that if you actually live out family correctly, you won't have to be complaining about not having community, young people. I'm talking to my friends. I'm even talking to myself. Sometimes I'm like, man, I just want some community. I mentor a lot of, lot of, lot of, yeah, Sean laughing because, you know, this is, this is a, this is a real uh, frequent thread whenever I'm talking to people who are like early 20s and like coming out of high school, college, all that stuff. It's like, man, I'm just looking for community. Just community, dude. Like, I just need people to pour in. What? Everywhere you go, you're getting poured into. But this, this part of function, I, I, want, I want you to lock in here, because as we talk about these values, uh, can you put it up just one more time? As we get from a place of language, then because our languages begin to, begin to come together and, we, and our language is actually shifting, we now begin to actually create culture. Hip-hop is a culture. Country music is a culture because not only do they have values, they have a language that's associated with that. Hip-hop is, is, is an actual culture because there is these values. It means something to someone. They use the language of it. It becomes a culture. And then it started to affect communities. If you want Eastside Church to impact East Charlotte, then you've got to live this thing out. And you can't just have a bumper sticker that says, I go to Eastside Church. Oh, because FYI, in this day, it's a different time. It's a different day. 20 years ago, you could get away with, oh, come to my church. 10 years ago, maybe. Come to my church. Hear my pastor. He's the, he's the best pastor in town. Oh, come to my church. Hear the worship. It's the best worship in town. But y'all, come on. Like, gimmicks don't work. I believe that what God is wanting to plant in our church cannot just be attributed to one man or one person. But God has to trust a company of people that came together in faith saying that, God, our answer is yes before we know the question. And so because of that, we've committed ourselves to get past encounter. What do I mean by past encounter? Some of us, we love the story of the old rugged cross. And y'all, I am not going there and bashing songs or hymns or any of that because I love hymns. But what I'm saying is that some of us have never got past the Jesus that we met in third grade in Sunday school. Some of us have never got past a Jesus that was palatable to culture, but not palatable when it came to really living transformed. So we're known as Southern Christian evangelicals, but none of us have really transcended culture in a way that actually caused a shift. So, so, so we, we, we flirt with sin and we can see sin but not call it out because we've just been told how to conform and not how to really connect. As we talk about family and we're saying family over function, say family over function. Family over function. I want you to get this, that, 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 that the big part of this is that you need to remember two things. Unity versus uniformity. I think that's on the screen. Say unity. Unity. Unity means this, that, that me and Bailey can look totally different, right? We, she comes from a totally different background as I do. She might like other things different. But I know that I accept Bailey for who she is because whoever, how, however she's uniquely been crafted by God, that's who's accepted in unity. I'm going somewhere with this. 
for a long time, our education system and even systematic versions of church have taught uniformity and not unity. Because you can, you, can, you can look different all day long, and then we celebrate that as diversity. But that's not diversity. What diversity is, is the permission to be uniquely you in an environment where we are centrally brought together by Christ. It's not forgetting that you are you, Julie. It's not forgetting that Stephen is Stephen and that Stephen comes from a different place. It's not forgetting that John is John or Elsa is Elsa. It is seeing who they are and seeing that Christ died for the oneness. Unity, not uniformity. Because uniformity crushes creativity. Uniformity crushes voices. And what we need is a group of people to be able, you know, a lot of times people say we want to be like the Acts Church. Oh, I just want to be like the Acts Church. You know, I, I want to see signs, miracles, and wonders like the Acts Church. But the truth is, a lot of times we, we don't want really the Acts Church because they, the Bible says they had all things in common. They had they'd come to a place where they had the things in common, but they were also representing various different parts of culture and people. And the thing that was unifying them was Christ. Do you know that if I said, hey, uh, I'm going to need you to spend a week with a Democrat, you know, next week, some people would act like I was asking them to have some dirty act with somebody. Because we believe a lie of uniformity instead of unity. How many of you know that Jesus Christ died for people that don't look like you, act like you, think like you? Amen? I want to go to Acts and pull something out here. Acts chapter 2. And this is really, this is really talked about a lot. A lot in, in a lot of church planning circles and cycles and all this stuff. Oh, let's be an Acts 2 church and all this stuff. But when we really dig into it, we have to ask ourselves, are we really after connection or after we, are we after conformity? Because I'm going to tell you this, connection is harder. Remember when I was giving the example of raising a child? Connecting with that child to who they're uniquely designed to be and actually raising them in the way that they should go. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says this, raise a child in the way that... They, they, specific to them. He doesn't say, hey, there's about to be this cookie cutter kid. You know what I'm saying? And all your kids is going to look like this cookie cutter. No. Some of us try to apply that standard that was applied to us, and God says, take that off. Take that pressure off of your child. Take that off of them. Because when you're birthed out of authenticity, you care about who they are. You care about who God created them to be. And you're, it's impossible to parent without the prophetic. Can I just say that? It's impossible for you to parent, for you to do anything. It's impossible for us to do kids ministry without the prophetic. It's impossible for us to do anything that deals with the family without relying on God's voice for now. Because what he said for me when I was growing up is different than what he'll say for Kelly years later. And it's not because I want to be misogynistic. It's just because I know she's uniquely different than me. Acts 2.42 says this. It says, every believer, say every believer, was faithfully devoted to the followings of the, um, faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Say apostles. Right there, I want you to like make some uh, just notes, mental notes for yourself. Please look at yourself as a messenger of the gospel. Amen. 
I want you to understand this, that in the early church, apostle did not mean some person that drove a Cadillac and had 10 houses and a bunch of small churches. I'll use that to get some water for a second. In the early church, the apostle was known as a messenger. Yes, God used the apostles in, 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 in the role of building church. But before the, the big A apostles, we have little A apostles, which simply mean messengers. We've got to understand that the gospel was the, a message. And the gospel was not just a Christian word. In Rome at that time, they used a gospel to, to let out new news about the Roman Empire. If there was big changes in the Roman Empire, they would send out, say, send out this gospel through the apostles. The early, the early church sees this model and says, hey, you know what? We've got a superior message of superior goodness, and we re refuse to market this message of inferior goodness that Rome wants us to market. And they begin to say, hey, here are our, our apostles. <laughs> They're there to establish some things. I, I want to just camp there for a second. You might see churches all around that, are, that, are, that are, are choosing an inferior version of goodness or choosing to even market an inferior version of goodness. But I say right now, declare, decree, everything. We won't be that church. Yeah. I, I, I just know our pastor's heart. I know the staff's heart. We just won't be that church that's just going to market something for the sake of marketing it. So when you hear us talk vision, know that there's life attached to it. If we're talking vision, it's because your life is at stake. It's because what's in the future for your destiny is there. We want to talk about it so that you see it and you begin to run. Not talk about it so you can say, hey, now I can go back to my church. I can go back to my neighborhood, invite a couple houses, you know, do my thing, you know, evangelism, hashtag. You know, no, 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 that's not evangelism. What is evangelism? It's burning as John did in the wilderness and having because you're burning. So many people are just wondering what the heck is happening to this person. Come on, come on. This got to be more than me just coming, getting coffee and sitting down, feeling comfortable. The Bible has to be more real to me than that for me to say, hey, a value of Jesus is family. And I can't impact culture without impacting my family. Some of you say, well, but my family's dysfunctional. We got problems, <laughs> right? Like me, right? <laughs> well, praise God for that because Jesus died for a new family. He died so you don't have to hold that excuse up and say, well, you know, that sounds good and everything, but your spouse isn't drinking, JT. In your house, you don't have this type of, that type of dynamic. I'm saying, okay, I don't. I don't have those things, but what I do have is one that I can lock eyes to. And what I do have is for, to give you that same advice to lock eyes with him. Because what I've seen is this. John served Jesus, John served Jesus a long time, and when he first started serving him, it was more in, more in the loving role, kind of how we see it oftentimes where, you know, it's Abba, Daddy, you know, and he's the one that Jesus loved 
um, that, that, and he knew that about himself. But in Revelations, we see a different, uh, a different revelation, a different picture of what John walks into, glory to God, where he sees Jesus, and he sees him in a different way, and he's looking up. And, and you got to understand something, that when, when he's writing this and where he is, he's not in paradise. He's in for everything that we would call, it's prison, it's torture. But he looks up in the midst of his painful place or his broken place, and he sees Jesus with fire in his eyes. Don't you understand that that fiery moment of John creates a fiery moment inside of John? You don't just worship for you in the moment. You worship so that as he comes, he draws you to him. And because he's drawing you to him, he says, if I be lifted high, I'll draw all. I wonder if we could be a church that would really live by that and say, I want to live a life that draws all men. I'm closing. Verse 42 says this. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. I want to leave you on, on this, this thought here, that we serve a God that values connection. Say connection. Connection. Now, the cheap form of connection is conformity. It don't cost you as much. What do, what do I mean by that? I, I mean that if you, if, you, if you just barely surface level want to connect with someone, just enough where you can call it connection, but it's not really, you'll start to make that person conform to you. I've seen a lot of places, a lot of churches, a lot of just all over where people are forced almost to conform to the uniformity of the house versus the unity of the house. God died for, Jesus died for unity here. You know what's beautiful about when people from every tribe, nation, and tongue come together and worship a holy God? Other than the fact they got some banging food, you know, like, other than that fact. <laughs> they all come bringing thankfulness in their own way, traditions, traditions and languages and culture. They all come bringing that down. And just as one day we will be in a place where we can lay our crowns down, they lay their cultures down because they found a more superior culture. They lay their cultures down. Not, not that anyone said that you have to check your culture at the door, but because when faced with the preference of their culture or the presence of Jesus, they chose Jesus' presence. And that is what revival begins to look like here. At some point in the American church, we're going to have to choose Jesus over our comfort zone. We're going to have to choose Jesus over what we've always been sold as good and sold as the safe way. We have to choose Jesus, period. It has to be that because his version of goodness, it actually lasts. The, the world's version of goodness or the, 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 the church without him version of goodness, it, it leaves you kind of bitter and kind of salty. And then we have people that say, I've been hurt by the church. When really they were hurt by people carrying agendas, disguised and demasked and masking themselves as Christians. 
So if you want to be God's bride today and you want to be really a part of an authentic family, I say this, we've got to live past the encounter. We've got to, if we want, if we really want to operate in family here, if we really want to operate in family, then really what we've got to say is when someone, <laughs> when someone is here, um, and, and there are many that, that do things differently than me, my, my first inclination cannot be to judge them and wash them away and make them conform to my image of who I think they're supposed to be because it's not God. Family over function means we care more about the realness of family, the realness of people, the realness of the Father. Father God, that God the Father places authority over this house, and we serve that authority because we honor God. And we trust that that authority will uniquely see that we're unique to ourselves. You know you don't have to fight for a voice when you believe that you're actually welcome to be uniquely who you are. Is that speaking to anybody? If you could stand to your feet, there's, a, there's just <clears throat> these last things that I just want to close on. And that thought of uniformity versus unity or unity versus uniformity. There's three things that I just really believe that God was saying around family. And that's family should promote unity and not uniformity, as we've been saying. Family should grant permission for authentic expression of God, of who God created us to be. That's family. Family is not saying, oh, well, you don't fit in because you don't sound like us, walk like us. That's what denominations taught us. And I believe God's tearing that whole thing down because it's become an inferior version of goodness. Amen. I'm not wishing death on churches. Hear what I'm saying. I'm saying that we once used it in a pure form, but now have gotten away and we we corner ourselves into titles and say, I'm Baptist, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Anglican, I'm this, I'm that. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I died for one people. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It, it changes the way we, we view the news when you look and say, there's actually, there's there's Christian people that look like what that news is saying is a thug. And they don't talk like me. They don't walk like me. They don't cook the same food as I cook. <laughs> That's amazing. Food is always a unifier. I can take a starch racist and take them to a, a food place of another culture, and they'd be like, man, this is some good food. Hate the people, but it's good food. <laughs> <laughs> but all jokes aside, seriously, seriously, seriously. Bailey, you going, you going to college? I'm praying for a family up there that's going to meet you, that's going to let you be authentically who you are. Can we stretch our hands towards Bailey just in believing that? Believing that? There's other college people, and I'm saying you stand in the gap with the other ones that are here that are represented, might have been at 9 o'clock, but I just declare that over you that you're going to find family. God's got family for you. You're not going to have to go into a hole. You're not going to have to become the college freshman that people think that you should become. You're never going to be wild. You're going to have your days already. God's got the best for you, and you don't have to worry about it. I command fear to leave every situation, every dorm room, everything. Everything that's ever took place in that room before you ever got there that you're moving in on Wednesday, we call it, we renounce all those spirits to get out of there that you're bringing in a new culture to Western Carolina. Amen? Amen. Come on, give God a praise. It's powerful. Why? Because wherever your family goes, the culture of your family goes. You don't have to just lay down and say, I become where I'm at. 
No, I become how I was raised to be. And if you're coming to Eastside, we're trying to raise you in the authentic measure of Jesus so that you can go and impact culture and not just become a th- not just be set wherever you are, like not just blend in. But so that you can go to that workplace that you dread going most every week and say, I'm going to call down heaven if nothing else. And God, you're going to give me a dynamic way of serving you. I'm going to serve you in obedience here at this job that I don't, I don't believe. I don't believe I'm supposed to be here for this long. But I'm going to serve you here because I know that you said I'm going to be somewhere else. But for right now, I just got to serve you. I really got to serve you. Really, that's a word for somebody. Lastly, family is where I'm free to be me. Say free to be me. I pray that as we release you today, that you are free to walk in a grace that you've never walked in before. You are free to pray prayers that you've never prayed before. You are free to walk in an authority that you have never seen over your life because God speaks that to you. Jesus died and he released all of heaven. He released all the authority into you. When you received him, that's the, that's the certificate of authority that you received was his blood-stained name, signed, still delivered, saying, hey, these are my people. It's going to be an announcement to the culture here in Charlotte. When we begin to live in this way, we're not going to worry about the building. Y'all, we're going to build several buildings. We're going to fill up several buildings, but it's not going to be about filling up buildings. It's about filling up people. Because if we fill you up, you will begin, it will be an announcement to this entire side of town. What is happening over there? The demographics didn't shift. The rich people didn't just move in. But what? You got rich people in and WIC assistance at the same place. You got food stamps and just like in Cadillacs pulling in the same spot. Because I believe it's an announcement to culture that Eastside Church is right where God is, and you're a part of this family. Stretch your hands all over the room. God, we just believe right now, God, that what you're announcing to this culture, what you're announcing to this part of Charlotte will not be held to these four walls. It will not stay in here. We refuse to be a church that cries but doesn't go outside and impact the culture around us. We refuse to be that people that sit on our hands and wait for someone else to do it. God, I pray that you, from this place, arise voices to go to the nations, God, arise voices to go outside into every corner of our city, God. Arise voices to go to boardrooms and courthouses and all these other places, God, where your people are to announce that you are here, that your reign is here, that your power is here. And there's a family that is waiting to invite them to the table. There's a family that is waiting to just pull up their chair. There is a family here, God. And so I pray that above everything else, we don't forget, God, that you called us to the unity of the brethren and not uniformity. So God, place in our path this week, God, people that don't think like us, look like us, walk like us, and have an anointing on it, God. Let us be able to tell that it is you and fully you. Help us be free to be me. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We've got a prayer.